Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I have a very special guest today. He's actually a repeat guest, and that is my own husband, Mr. John Adams, who is a wealth management advisor with Adams, Goot, and Associates. And he has been a wealth management advisor for over 35 years. I know as a mom, I am very grateful that he manages our finances And especially when it came time to really start planning for both of our boys, as you know, we have Gabriel and Benjamin, and they have already completed college, but it's a little bit stressful when we have to, as families, start thinking about it. And the big question is, when do we start? And there's even more questions than that. So I brought him in and I said, let's talk about it. Let's talk about everything that we feel everyone would be a need to know about planning for college. So without further ado, John, thank you for joining me today. Well, the compensation was so good the last time I had to come back. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I will say I had a lot of downloads on, yeah. on this and um, anyone listening, I'm trying to reach 10,000 downloads, which is going to be um, a big thing for me. So if you like what you hear, remember to to share it. But John, thanks for joining me. You know, I always say with parents, of course, we want our kids to feel healthy. And that's my job, you know, to try to help. But the other part of having a healthy family is also feeling financially sound, you know, safe and prepared. And there's so much, you know, that comes with raising a family financially that what point do you start to advise families to start saving for college? Well, as a uh, as a financial advisor, um, there's kind of a couple things around the space. You start saving for retirement with your very first paycheck, and you start saving for your children's education when they come out of the womb. So... The consistent message in both of those is the earlier you start, the better, because it gets late early. Okay. It gets very hard to play catch up if you don't get started early to get on track for whatever your goal is, retirement, or in this case today, we're talking about children's education. Just like when you talk, I've heard you for all of our years of our marriage, over 30 years, when you talk to parents about their kids, you kind of talk about whatever the issue is as a pediatrician, but I've heard you say a number of times, well, as a mom and you use our own kids as a, as an example, um, whether it be sleeping or eating or sports or what have you. And so I'm going to kind of go the same track with, with this subject. And so, you know, listeners to your podcast will know we have two boys, Gabriel and Benjamin. And, um, you know, it was my role, although you and I certainly talked about it, one of our common goals was that our boys would not have college student loan debt when they graduated from college, that they would have a clean slate and a good start in that space. 
And so we had to sacrifice and not live as well that day so that we could set some aside for another day that would yield and provide for their education. And so when I really think about between Gabriel at Baldwin-Wallace for four years and then Benjamin at University of Kentucky, out of state, and then uh, Toledo, and then his different internships and residencies before now his full-time job, I calculated that we spent a little over $360,000 for both of their college educations. It's a big number. It's a big number. So it's a real number. And so, um, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do that, accomplish our goal of them not having any student loan debt if we didn't get started early. And so when I really looked at what you and I have saved to be able to write those checks for their tuition, it was it was about $100,000 less than what it actually cost us. So it's almost like we got a, a third off of their, their tuition. I mean, who wouldn't want a, th- a, 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 <laughs> you know, a third off their tuition bill? That sounds great. How do I get that? Well, in our case, we couldn't control if our kids were going to qualify for scholarships uh, or you know, academic or athletic. And so there's this tried and true scholarship called compound interest. It works every time. It just needs time to work. And so we've been saving for a very long time, um, again, sacrificing today to prepare for tomorrow uh, so that we could accomplish that objective of giving them that paid-for college education. And so when you think about how much we, we, we got a discount on that tuition bill because of our savings habits and letting compound interest work for us, it, it, it enabled us to accomplish our goal. Now, you know, the listeners might be asking, well, what are the different ways to accomplish that? That sounds great. And certainly one of them would be to take money and uh, you stick it in a savings account. While it doesn't earn very much and the taxes on that might not even keep up with inflation. And so another option might just be you open up an investment account and you hopefully get good growth on that. Not every day, but hopefully over time. But unfortunately, there's taxes. There's a headwind that you pay in that space called income taxes that uh, you have to save more in that environment to maybe reach the same goal as something that didn't have taxes, that headwind. And so literally Congress recognizing it's good policy to have an educated workforce. How can we help families prepare for college? They created something called a 529 account. And a 529 account is something now it's the rules of it have since changed when it since what first came out. But literally on K through 12, you can put money into a 529 and that money grows without the headwind of income taxes. It's, it's just tax-free growth. You get to invest the money amongst a lot of different styles. A very popular style is called a target date or age based. So based on the age of your child and how many years until they're going to need it for college, that money is automatically invested on a glide path. So when they're younger, it's more aggressive, more volatile. As they keep creeping closer and closer to the day they're going to need that money for school, it keeps getting safer and safer. So it wouldn't be affected by a big downturn in the market right as they're about to go to college. So the 529 is a very popular tool. And they've really written some neat newer rules on the 529. One of them being that um, for the children who maybe the parents are going to send them to a parochial school, they literally can take t- up to $10,000 a year out of the 529 for K through 12 education. 
Okay. Well, that's pretty powerful because now, again, I get to save money and get it to grow tax-free and come out tax-free to write that $10,000 for tuition instead of me having to earn that in an investment account and pay taxes uh, to then, after paying that taxes, have the $10,000 for for tuition. So so it's neat that you get to use it through, through K through 12. But then also, when it was first introduced, in addition to K through 12, it's also for college now, all right? So that money's available to pay for college um, and college-related expenses. And, you know, you can really look at a, a number of states. In our state, particularly of Ohio, there's an income tax incentive, currently up to $4,000 per account. And so I'll often counsel families if they have, like, you had a 529, I had a 529, Gabe had a 529, Ben had a 529. So there's a multiplier of that state income tax incentive um, to, uh, of, uh, in this case, currently $4,000 to accumulate the money. So you and I would do $4,000, uh, but then we would do the bulk of our 529 savings into our kids' accounts, all right, so that everybody got that, that $4,000 state of Ohio incentive. Anyhow, um, so the 529 is right now the most popular tool because of that tax-free status for education savings. However, there's some strings attached. I was going to ask. Can I can I ask a quick question before? Sure. So what I hear you saying is the 529, you can put money into it before your pre-tax dollars. So your gross- it's post-tax dollars. You, so you're, it's after-tax dollars you're putting into the 529. But you're not taxed on what you take out of it. Is Correct. that what I'm hearing As long as you use it for allowable purposes. Okay. You can't buy a boat with the 529. They don't like that. So well, I figured taxes that. taxes and I penalties and those things. All right. But the idea of the 529 is as long as you use it for what it's designed to be used for, education-related purposes- then again, it grows tax-free, it comes out tax-free, all right? So I always get questions. Well, first of all, uh, check your state uh, for its availability and um, if there's any tax incentive to use that state's program because in Ohio there is, and so most times I'll, I'll guide clients to use the Ohio program for that reason. Um, but then I'll get questions. Well, what if, uh, what if my child doesn't go to college? Yeah, that's a very good question. So you can literally move that money around other family members without any taxes or penalties. So maybe one person doesn't go to college. Maybe one person gets a scholarship and they don't need it for college. And so you can roll it over to another child. Or if they do get a scholarship, you're allowed to take out the money in the 529 subject to only a tax on the gain, but no penalty. All right. So if you took the money out of the 529 to go buy a boat, not only would you pay taxes on the gain, you'd pay a 10% penalty because you used it for a a not intended purpose. Okay. But in the event of a scholarship, uh, you can take the money out, avoid the penalty, but still pay taxes. Well, maybe that's money for a down payment on a house for them. Maybe that's money for um, grad school. Leave it in the 529 for them to use. Think of it, how many, the need of an advanced degree anymore. Um, and so maybe they don't need for undergrad, but we left it in the 529 for grad school. What if we don't need it for that? Well, that money can literally sit there and continue to accumulate, compound, tax-free, for what would be possibly that person's children. That would be your grandchildren's college education. Okay. All so right? if, the, if, a, if, let's say, a parent, you know, parents say, we're going to invest in this, start this 529, their child then 
you know, they don't have anybody to roll it over. They mm-hmm. get a scholarship, but they can continue and then it can be used for as a legacy, basically. Is used as a legacy, saying. but something really neat happened in the CARES Act 2.0 in December of 2022, where Congress realizes there's a huge retirement deficit facing this country. And so they created a wrinkle in the 529 that literally says, as long as that 529 was in existence for 15 years, that if you don't use the money for college, starting in 2026, that money can be rolled over to a um, Roth IRA. And now is that taxed? No. Oh, nice. It's only, you can only migrate 6,500 a year. And the cap currently is no more than um, $35,000. Okay. And it has to be in a Roth IRA for the person who was the beneficiary of the 529. So if Gabe didn't need all of his money in his 529, and that account had been around for at least 15 years, then starting in 2026, actually, again, starting in 2024, my mistake that money can be migrated over to a Roth IRA at $6,500 increments up to a maximum of $35,000. So, wow. Now, yeah. not only are we using this money for college, but if we don't need it all for college, scholarship, what have you, um, now we get to relocate that money and you know, again, we could have moved it to Ben. We could move it to any number of our relatives. But in this case, what Congress is saying, hey, you don't need all that money for college? We're going to let you port that money over to a Roth IRA to help with the retirement gap that this country faces. The key thing is that account has to be around for at least 15 years. And so I, since this rule came out, well, I'll tell everybody, just open a 529 and get that clock ticking on mm-hmm. that money. Even if you don't fund it aggressively, just open it and get that account dated uh, and get that 15-year clock ticking to have that availability if, you choose, if, if that becomes your life circumstance. Well, and I'd like to um, circle back and mention to anyone that's listening, when we first started this journey with saving for our kids' education, we we barely had two pennies in our pocket, you know, and so I don't want, I want to remind people that just like how you said, it doesn't have to be a lot, but get the, get the ball rolling, get the clock ticking, you know, uh, you know, even a little bit over time grows so big. We started Gabe's 529 at $50 a month. Okay. And it's this, you know, it's the wonder of the compound, which is this pebble that becomes, you know, this huge boulder over time by gravity called compound interest. All right. And so, you know, we certainly put more in as we made more. Um, but that kind of gets me back to the, the, the 60 20 20 principle that we talked about the very last time here is the importance of budgeting. All right. And knowing that, hey, 60% of what's coming in, uh, that's, that's going to be my fixed cost of living our mortgage, our car payments, our insurance, our groceries, utilities. Like, this is the number I have to have each month to be me. And then the other 20% really goes towards your future you, your goals, savings, investment, education, what have you. And then the other 20% is our discretionary spending. doesn't care what you spend it on, but as long as you just keep it to that 20%, then one doesn't crowd out the other. But if your 60% became 80% cost to be you on a monthly basis, 
you're really squeezing the other spaces and probably you're looking at debt or student loans to be able to afford college. And that's a whole nother conversation around that. Um, I mean, any candidate that you hear running for office, the two issues they talk about is the elderly population and social security and healthcare. I guess those would be two issues. But another issue is um, this huge student loan debt that America is facing. I mean, if you took every automobile you see on the road and every house and every neighborhood in America and added all those up, the student loan debt number is higher mm. than the debt on all those cars on the road and all those houses in America. And you and I had student loan debt. Absolutely. I mean, so it's, uh, it, it, I think that's what motivated us to say, you know, what can we do that's, you know, that can be helpful and different. So well, that's why and that's kind of getting too. me to my other thing too, is we did have student loan debt. Okay. And so we, we had skin in the game. All right. And then we had to pay it off. Um, so it afforded us a chance to get an education that at least in my case, I would probably wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Yeah. All right. Um, you were smart and you got scholarships through school. Um, that was a different class than I went to. And so <laughs> I, I had to finance my way through school. And you did for med school, all right? But not much compared to most, but you still had to take out some student loan debt. Yeah. Well, you know, with Gabe and Ben getting a, a free ride, I mean, they had some skin in the game. They were responsible for some of their expenses, which is another conversation around transitioning to college. I mean, I didn't want them just, I mean, how do they, a credit card. I didn't want, I wanted them to learn responsible uses of a credit card and what a definition of a true emergency it isn't spring break on a, on a whim, right. let's get out my credit card. It's no, it's a credit card. And it, there's a, you got to pay that money back. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there's a cost if you don't, and the cost isn't just the interest, but the cost to your credit rating, if you don't respect it and treat yes. it properly, that it will haunt you for a long time until you fix it. So there's a responsibility of a credit card and a true parental discussion around what defines an emergency. Right. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, in Gabe and Ben's situation, um, with our ability to save and invest and give them the opportunity of starting life with a clean slate, no debt. You know, I, I've told both of them now, and, and they're following this, that this doesn't mean they get to live larger now because they don't have a student loan payment. I literally have had them get a calculator out and said, if we finance your student loan debt, like most do, uh, apply the interest rate over 10 years, what would your payment be? And let's call it, it was $800 a month, making this up. All right. Well, that's not $800 a month they have to live larger now because they don't have student loan debts. And so maybe their car or their whatever their choices are in life. Hey, I've got 800 bucks to spend. I wouldn't have otherwise if I had student loan debt. No, no, no. The thank you back to us is that they're starting that pebble of compound interest with $800 a month in their 20s. And think of the bolder that will be worth to them in their 40s and 50s that they're going to be on a really good financial path for their life because they didn't have that student loan debt. It, it's not a, I get to live larger because I don't have a debt payment. Is that No, the thank you back to us is that they're saving that on a regular basis and the path that's going to put them on for the rest of their lives. And it teaches them that savings muscle at a young age too. Yeah. That is an amazing lesson to pass on to kids. And that's hard to do. I mean, I would imagine that, you know, when I think back, $50 a month was probably really tough for us yeah. in the beginning, you know, because we were, I was still in school at the time and you were pay, starting to pay off your loan debt. So it, I, I want to encourage people that, 
you know, it definitely can be done. And, um, and then, you know, talking to somebody about it, about what you feel you can contribute to it, but just, just start with that pebble. I love that analogy that you use because it can feel like a big rock. It could feel like a big mountain, you know, when, when you start to really look at the big picture, but just start with that pebble. I love that analogy. I want to, you know, our focus today has really been mainly on, okay, how soon can I start saving for college? How, or how soon should I start? And what are some vehicles to help me get there? And we talked about 529 is the most popular. There's a lot of other ones uh, that maybe aren't as tax efficient um, as a 529. Um, You know, the worst thing would be to take money out of your retirement account to pay for college because there could be some penalties and taxes, and let alone the cost of that money not accumulating for someday your retirement. Um, Again, home equity loans, lots of other ways to pay for college, but... um, Ideally, if you're in a situation to do that, the 529 is the most popular. I want to transition this conversation to those high school graduates this year mm-hmm. that are about to go off to, I mean, we went to a graduation party yesterday. And, mm-hmm. you know, this beautiful, intelligent, confident young woman is going off to Miami. All right. Could possibly be the next, the first female president of the United States. <laughs> okay. And I have a feeling if, if there's ever one, she's going to be it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I really want to talk about that situation for a second. And so what do we do? And so I have kind of a, 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 a checklist, the five financial tasks to tackle now or this summer. Okay. Now, can I clarify? Is this somebody who has been saving or this is anyone? This is anyone. No matter what your situation this is. This is no matter what your situation okay. is. Okay. Okay. So five. Yep. Let's hear it. So number one is review your family's plan to pay for college, uh, considering scholarships, loans, grants. If there's a gap, if, if there's some left over, let's have a frank discussion of who's going to pay for it. Are you? Am I? Um, are you going to take loans? Are you going to work? Let's start there. All and right? this is a discussion between you and your child. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, number two, let's talk about a budget. All right. That, that budget word. So, you know, even if the room and board and meals are all covered, we all know we're going to need more for extracurricular activities. So how much more will we actually need? Um, and determine how much money, if any, you plan to give them as a, as a monthly um, uh, allowance for okay. college, as we did with the boys, or if they need to get a part-time job mm-hmm. to help cover those expenses. And that's not a bad thing. No. Okay, if they do. I mean, getting them to feel like they have skin in the game um, uh, is, is not a bad thing. Um, the third is to set up bank accounts. And even banks that maybe are near the school that, that they're going to be at, something that they can pay their own bills from or draw cash from. Because if there's not a local branch of that bank near their school, there's going to be a lot of ATM fees when they want money. Uh, I guess if kids use cash anymore, I don't know, maybe it's all Venmo. <laughs> but uh, to the extent that they take cash out, I mean, they can really accumulate some fees if they're not using a local bank. But the, a couple other ones that are really important is get all your legal paperwork in order. So, you know, literally in the eyes of the law, once a child turns 18, they're an adult, all right? And that really can mean without the proper paperwork, you could really be cut out of as a parent of some very important decisions. And so let me talk about those. Okay. The first one is a medical power of attorney. You know, you're absolutely going to need this if your child is ever in an accident and requires medical care. Um, I have uh, experience with somebody who had the... Um, Medical power of attorney, their child was at USC. Uh, they were hours and hours away. Their child needed medical care. And the mom 
rushed and flew to be with the child, as any parent would, and realized that the power of attorney was back at home. And so the mom was kind of boxed out of participating in the child's medical care situation decisions because the child was an adult. So ever since I heard that story of the client, um, we've had ours on my phone. You've had yours on your phone. All right. And so, so I've always counseled clients, get the, the medical power of attorney and get it on your phone because you always have your phone with you. All right. Yeah. Uh, secondly, is a durable power of attorney, which allows you to act on your child's behalf for financial and legal matters that could be state specific. All right. So make sure you check with your attorney on, on that. Um, your health insurance situation, maybe even check with your health insurance carrier, and, you know, out of state or out of network situation. So be aware of that. Um, and then I have checking your car insurance. And so maybe you've got good student rates or maybe instead of being a primary driver, they're going to become a occasional driver and that could maybe save you some rates there. So, um, so those are the things cool. Um, review the family's financial plan of how college is going to be paid for, who's going to pay for what, go over a budget, set up bank accounts, keep an idea of a local branch. So you don't get those ATM fees. Uh, particularly get that legal paperwork in order around the medical power of attorney, durable power of attorney. Check with your health insurance. You know, we kept ours on on, our, on the plan until they were 26. All right. And I would add to that about the health insurance is make sure you're reading fine print in regards to college or maybe they're taking a job. Because I remember that one year, Poor Gabe was paying for his health insurance and he was still on our insurance yeah. and he didn't even realize it. Yeah. So it's very important that, you know, if they're going out for their first job or they're going, you know, going <clears throat> to school, sometimes those things can be built in <clears throat> and you want to make sure you're not, you know, double paying for, for right. twice. The other thing I was going to say that I think important for our time together today is, um, you know, it's, it's never too early to start teaching good habits. It's not like you're just going to go through high school or you're going to go through college. And then when I get my first real job, I'm going to start good financial habits. It's already too late. All right. And so, I mean, you saw with the boys, um, I instilled in them the need to save money. All right. Cutting lawns, whatever they were doing. But it wasn't just their money to spend. They had some money to spend, but some money to set aside. Yes. Okay. And so fortunately now as young adults, that served them very, very well. But it was a muscle that we built in very early. And so teaching kids to budget uh, is so important as young as you can. As young as you can. I mean, I remember we talked about Penny the Pig when I was here last time. Yeah. We used it the boys. And, and the different categories in Penny the Pig, at the youngest age possible, we taught them the different categories of saving and investing and spending and charity works and that stuff. But as young as possible, get that 60-20-20 and then make them, I can't say make them, but let me just say. Um, Teach them. Don't bail them out. All right. Now I'm guilty of bailing the kids out from time to time. And you're more guilty than I am of bailing them out every time. <laughs> this is okay? true. This is true. But my point to you is, you know, um, you got to show them where the parameters are and the consequences of their decisions. Yeah. And, oh, I ran out of money. All right. Mm. Well, then maybe you didn't budget right. And you can't always go to the bank of mom and dad to bail me out because what's that really teaching me? I don't really have to budget too much because mom and dad are always going to bail me out. Right. So it's a bit of tough love situation for them to really learn good money habits as if you didn't exist. All right. And what was really exciting to me, uh, particularly with, you know, most recently with Ben getting his real job 
as I was going over the 60-20-20 guideline that he knows and really putting him up on a budget that he had come up with and reviewing it, I said to him, I said, Ben, you know, I'm always going to be a backstop for you if you ever need it. And he says, I really want to build my budget as if you're not my backstop. Right. And I was so proud of him to say that, all right, because he gets it. Okay, he totally gets it. And so here he is in his mid-20s, 60-20-20, all right? And so I just think that's that's really a cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it is, it's hard. Some people, I think, um, establish that muscle pretty easily. Some don't. Even as they get older, we're all a little, um, you know, each have our own habits when it comes around money. But if you can really start doing that early on, it's so much easier. It's like, choose your heart, right? Is it- Choose your heart. Right. Yeah, that's it's, a great way to do it. And I would say, you know, the best way to teach them good money habits is they're watching. You've yes. got to demonstrate those good money habits as mom and dad. If right. you're not paying attention to those expenses or the, those budget or your credit card debt situation, <laughs> you've just made it a, a much harder road for the kids financially because that's exactly what they're learning. All right. Make them understand when you go to an ATM machine, you actually have to put money in the bank <laughs> for the ATM card to work. You don't just go get cash out of the wall you know, uh, at the ATM machine and it just spits cash out. Get them to understand, no, we, we put money in that account to have money to take out. Right. And, and look at that so that there's a good balance. Correct. So I, I think those five tips are really great because even for people who maybe are saying, well, I never really did get a chance to save. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're in trouble. Let's, let's get, like you said, the ducks in the row and moving forward, there's, there's always a way to really maximize how you're spending that money on education and how you're going to plan to pay it back if you need to. Right. Yep. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, This is a pretty, pretty hot topic, you know, and very timely and one that is also, you know, stressful for some as soon as you start talking about it. And I will say that 529 account sounds impressive. Who, how does a family even start that conversation? Do do they see a financial planner? Do they go to the bank? Well, like- I'm pretty biased. I think a financial advisor is a good way <laughs> to go. All right. But um, you could just Google 529 account Ohio all right, okay. or your state. And, um, you know, there's lots of direct ways you could set it up. Very low cost, uh, very efficient. Set it up, link it to a savings account, automatically debits right into your account each month. It's such an effective way just to get in that habit of, like I said, we opened up Gabe's at $50 a month. Okay. And I didn't choose this month if I wanted to do 50 or next month if I want to do 50. It was an automatic bill to Gabe's college education. And when the market was way up, it bought less shares. When the market's down, it bought more shares and it was on this glide path. So it was investing more aggressively when he was younger and much more conservatively as he got older. So a market drop couldn't pull back the money that we had set aside for his college education. So, um, so yeah, but I mean, a 529 is just a tool, a very efficient tool towards the topic we're talking about. But in the larger picture, what we're, what you're kind of asking, or maybe I think you're asking is the importance of working with a trusted financial advisor in a fiduciary capacity, somebody who has to work with your best interest in mind, certified financial planner who can really, you know, First, start the conversation around mission, vision, values, and goals first, and then strategies, tactics, tools, and techniques second, mm. all right? 
you know, you're cautious of somebody who shows up with strategies, tactics, tools, techniques. First, you should do this. Well, you don't know anything about me. What do you mean I should? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's a lot of advisors, well-intentioned, all right? But um, you just want to be cautious. Let's, let's, let's first take a look at mission, vision, values, and goals. And once we have clear identification of that, then let's talk about and educate, not tell, what are my choices, strategies, tactics, tools, techniques to execute most efficiently on your vision. In this case, this topic today was education. We just talked about the 529. There's a lot of different routes. I've just been spending most of my time with you on the 529 because I think it's the tool most used uh, just because of its power. It's tax efficient, power of money growing without taxes and coming out without taxes. I mean, life insurance, certain forms of life insurance get that same tax favorable treatment. It might be another way to pay for college, but uh, we've been talking mostly about 529s. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I I really appreciate it because, of course, I've always put my trust in you to manage that. And so I learned something today, too, which I think everybody will benefit from. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you'll come back. We'll talk about more topics on finance and families because, like I said, we, we need to have a healthy foundation whether it's with your health, with your finances, with the support and love from, you know, all those that help. It takes a village, right, to to, to raise a family. So um, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else, take a screenshot of the episode and post to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us at Growing Up With Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www.growingupwithdrsarah.com slash contact. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.